Hello. Welcome to the Travis Stork Show with me, your host, Dr. Travis Stork. Today's guest is Tyler Henry. And for those of you that do not know anything about Tyler, he is the uh, host of Hollywood Medium with Tyler Henry as a, uh, I guess the term would be a clairvoyant medium. And the reason I'm having Tyler on today is both for personal reasons, but also because I'm just really intrigued by this whole concept of what it means or does not mean to have psychic powers or to communicate with those who have passed. Because a little background, I'm a huge skeptic on all of this stuff. And I've been hosting the doctors for 12 years. And for years, you know, we might even have guests on the show who claim to be these psychic mediums. And I would even sit out the majority of these segments because I just thought they were full of shit. And I'm not kidding. Like a hundred percent. I <laughs> some of these people, I was like, are you kidding me? So bad. Some of them. But then I met Tyler a few years ago. And what I loved about Tyler is he was genuine, open, and honest, and did not pretend to be omniscient, did not pretend to be anything he wasn't. Just explain kind of what the process is for him when he's doing a reading, and then something else happened. So I was very impressed by the way he carried himself because it was very different than, than other experiences I've had. Um, so I understand why everyone's incredibly skeptical of this industry and should be. And I, and I think it can get actually really dangerous when someone starts spouting out things to vulnerable individuals and there's no basis in doing so. But I think what Tyler, where he separates himself is he truly tries to give hope and positivity and however he does it. And he, and he tries to describe it, but it, this, this kind of stuff isn't describable. But I've forced myself to keep an open mind after meeting him. And last fall, the producers came up and said, hey, Travis, would you ever be up for Tyler doing a reading? Thinking I would say, hell no. <laughs> you know, I don't believe in that. But instead, I said, yes, let's, let's give it a whirl. I respect Tyler. I want to see what this is all about. So September 20th, 2019, met with Tyler in my office for about an hour. And in that hour, he blew my mind. And it's not like Tyler knew every last little thing about me or those whom I've loved who have passed or whatnot, but he knew things about me and my life that no one would ever know and things that you could never search on Google or even you could probably call my best friend who I've known since elementary school and, and wouldn't know that. So he, he shared things about my uncle who had recently passed and things about my family that no one would know. On top of it, you know, he started sharing some things about my wife, Paris, and her family, in particular, her grandfather, who essentially with her grandmother raised her, you know, her grandfather had passed from pancreatic cancer. And some of the things Tyler was saying were so on point that when Paris saw the raw footage, she obviously was astounded by not only Tyler's I'll call it, he is very, um, with his subject and subject matter, he, he does things in a graceful way that does, I would say, keep things relatively positive. But fast forward a few days from that meeting on September 20th. At the end of that meeting, Tyler looked at me and said, I just have this feeling 
that you and Paris are soon going to be parents. So be ready, my friend. And I joked, ha ha, Tyler, I'm, you know, I'm older. I would be, I'm going to be, if we're lucky enough to have a baby, I will be in my late forties. This probably won't be easy. And, you know, we're not, we're not trying just yet, but once we start trying, you know, thanks for that vote of confidence. Well, three days later, September 23rd, I met with him September 20th on September 23rd is when we believe we conceived our soon to be son. Uh, I, I, yeah, that, that is, uh, I, I look <laughs> that alone. Anyone could predict that, right? Newly married. You're probably going to start trying to have kids, but the fact that we weren't trying to conceive and also all the other things he said just really blew my mind because again, he did things in a non arrogant, um, way that I think disarmed a skeptic like myself. And so I wanted to talk to him in a longer form interview as part of the podcast today. Very interesting kind of where his perspective lies between religion, spirituality, what he does, how he developed this gift. He talks about how he's not even sure he would want to have his own child because he would not want to pass this on to them. And you can tell in this conversation that in some ways his gift, however you define it, is at times a huge burden for him. And what he's doing is making the most of it. Also unique today, I have a wonderful co-host. So Tyler and my wife Paris have become friends on on social media. So Paris helps me co-host today because we're both just so intrigued by what he does. And look, I get it why everyone out there is, uh, many people out there are very skeptical and should be about things like this. But I have a lot of respect for Tyler and the way he presents himself. And this is a really interesting conversation. Huge shout out to my co-host, the lovely, wonderful, intelligent, and curious Paris Stork. Enjoy this podcast. And thanks so much for listening. So has anyone told you the story? Not necessarily. I haven't heard the full how it happened. (laughs) So let me pull out the calendar here. And you may not be surprised, but let me just say that you and I last hung out. Well, we hung out on stage on the doctors after this, but remember when you came to my office, it was September 20th, which was a Friday of 2019. That's right. So it was about, you know, seven months ago or so, maybe give or take. You looked at me and you said that you felt like there might be some baby magic in the future. And I joked, yeah, Paris wonders because I'd be an older dad if it's going to take some time. Right. We, were not, we were not officially trying, Tyler. And we became pregnant that Monday, the 26th. How funny. <laughs> or no, no, no. I'm sorry. The 23rd. <laughs> so <laughs> so cool. thank you. I don't know what, <laughs> what vibes you're putting in the air, but thank you. <laughs> of course. Well, congratulations. I'm excited to see her as well. I follow her on Instagram. So I always keep up with her updates. <laughs> oh, I know. She, she is a, she loves you and she's excited to chat with you. How are you holding up with everything? Hanging in there. It's been a good opportunity to do Skype readings. So I'm still able to work remotely, which is kind of nice. I go a little stir crazy if I can't do readings. So it's uh, it's been a good opportunity to catch up. Let me ask you, because one of the themes, you know, various parts of the country, people are engaging in different social distancing rules. There's isolation. Some people are in more of a lockdown scenario. But I think we've all come to realize that you can do a lot over Skype or Zoom or FaceTime or just the old good old-fashioned cell phone. 
I can't believe I'm calling a cell phone old fashioned, but how I'm curious how that affects what you do because, you know, being with someone versus doing a reading over Wi-Fi, is it, is it harder? Is it different in what way? I tend to find it's actually easier. And even before all this happened, I would regularly do readings through email, through the telephone. Um, and I actually kind of found it to be a preferred way of doing readings. And that was because it, it kind of cuts out any bias that could be had. Um, you know, when people are sitting in front of you, they react, they often will have facial expressions. Um, you know, and so it, for me, it's better to just kind of have that extra layer of not being able to see the person, not being able to really hear the person as, as much as you might when you're in person. So then it allows me to kind of get in everything that I'm feeling and seeing um, without as much reaction or bias. So I, I actually prefer it. <laughs> so does that mean then that the physical energy in a room is not as important to you as the expressions or reacting to someone, whatever, again, whatever it is that, that you are feeling when you're doing a reading, yeah, it, it, it does not require being physically close to someone. Exactly. It transcends space. I believe it even transcends time to some extent. I think it's really just more about the intention behind it. And I think for, for what I do in most spiritual practices, intention is really kind of the foundation of how it works and, and kind of what it's all about. So that can thankfully be done from a distance. <laughs> well, I know Paris is excited to talk with you a little bit about that, that word you use, which is, which is spiritual. But I'm curious for you, Tyler Henry, the man, not Tyler Henry, the Hollywood medium. So when you have a little more time and let's just say it's a scenario where you're stuck at home when you're supposed to be out on tour, I'm curious... <sighs> We know you have, I know you have a gift, but how, how does your mind work? And I'm not talking about when you're talking to anyone else, but after we have this, we finish this podcast and let's just say that this evening is just you alone in your thoughts. Cause I know sometimes my mind races, sometimes it, you know, does your mind When you're not able to maybe work as much as you normally would, does your mind go to unique places because you are who you are? I would say there is like an added layer of anxiety that can happen if I don't blow off that steam, so to speak. I learned really early on that as long as I do readings semi-regularly, I usually am able to sleep really well at night. But after about two weeks or so, I find if I'm not able to do a reading, I start having things come through in dreams. And it often is the first thing I'll think about when I wake up in the morning and the last thing on my mind when I go to sleep. So as long as I'm able to kind of blow off that steam is kind of the only way I can describe it. Um, I am able to maintain some normalcy. I still, you know, will have times where even with people in my own household, I'll get feelings about or I'll share information around. Um, And then once I kind of release that information, then it, it kind of goes away. And I can kind of regain some sense of just going back to normal. Well, what about for you? I remember you telling me this story about how, you know, when you were younger and you began to realize that you had this unique gift. What about your mind and what happens in terms of self-reflection? Because I think self-reflection is a very unique thing. And I think the busier we are, the less time we have for self-reflection. And heck, I remember going back all the way to when I was at college at, uh, you know, when I was in college, I was learning about Maslow's hierarchy and self-actualization. You know, first thing humans need is food, shelter, and then you kind of go through these, you know, stages. And then there's this concept of self-actualization, if you will. You you have an ability to 
if there's such a thing as a third person actualization, your ability to read others and help them sort of figure out maybe what they're stuck on or, you know, maybe even something, a, a, I want to get to this later, but a loose end in their life, something that they feel incomplete about, you're able to help complete them. But for you as an individual, when you're, I don't know what the right term is, but self-reflecting, what is it like in your head? I want to dig it apart. I want like what, when you're thinking, gosh, Tyler, you know, this was my day today, and you start analyzing you and your life. Do you analyze your life similarly to how you may analyze someone else, or is it completely different? Well, it's very different. I, I kind of describe it as like a blind spot. And I, I think oftentimes we kind of, when it goes in terms of self-reflection, even the most self-aware people often kind of have blind spots around themselves. And so I think with the nature of my work, it's kind of about trying to help unblock maybe a blockage that someone has, or at the very least, bring something to someone's attention that they need to look at. When it comes to myself, uh, you know, there's times where, you know, I, I didn't apply intuition to my own life. There's times where I'll regret, you know, doing option A versus option B. Um, so I think there are certain lessons that we are meant to learn as human beings. And I don't think mediums are immune to that. I think we all, even if we're able to get feelings about others, often have to learn certain lessons about ourselves. And so, you know, I, I value mindfulness. I value uh, all of those concepts, but, you know, it's it's kind of like, sometimes easier to discuss than put in practice. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll put you on the spot then. And you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but give me an example of a big regret that you've had where you'll look in at your reflection and think, gosh, Tyler, I I know better. And, and, you know, I'm always telling people not to do this, but here I am. I just did it. Well, I would say going with my gut, you would think being a medium, I would go with my gut more, but there's been times where in business situations, especially, you know, I'll uh, trust somebody more than Maybe my intuition is telling me to trust them. And I think there's something to be said about the value of first impressions. I think first impressions are very powerful. I think even if they're not necessarily logical, they are indicators and flags that we need to you know, recognize and look at. And so for me, you know, I can say that all day and night, but there's times where I'll meet people and maybe give them the benefit of the doubt <laughs> when I shouldn't have. So, you know, again, I think that's kind of ties in also, though, with the lessons we as individuals are meant to learn and the fact that we all kind of have that, that blind spot to some extent, which I don't view as a bad thing. I think if we knew it all, there'd be no point in being here. So, you know, I, I try to look at the value of mistakes and, and interactions that could have been done differently. Are these Hollywood people where you ignored your gut? <laughs> Very beginning, actually, in a weird story, I was uh, before the TV show, a man approached us to do a a sizzle reel to try to present to networks. And he brought in a camera crew and all of this. And he ended up whipping out a contract at the very end of the day after we'd filmed these readings. And he said, just sign right here. And I was a minor still. And so I thought, okay, you know, I was naive, came from a small town in the middle of nowhere. And so I grabbed the pen and I put it to the page and the pen's ink ran out (laughs) and I wasn't able to sign it. So I was like, well, hold on. You know, I don't know. I just, I got to go find another pen. Well, we never found another pen. And I said, oh, I'll do it another day. And then sure enough, we ended up finding out that that contract was just riddled with all these uh, horrible clauses that would have kept me stuck and unable to do what I could do now. So I came this close to signing my life away, basically, to someone who, thank God, the uh, ink and the pen ran out. But that's kind of an example. I think that's why I married an attorney because I <laughs> used to be naive. I, I, much like you, I used to think that, you know what? People present themselves and they'll say, oh, this is such a, a great opportunity for you, Tyler. or Travis, this is such a wonderful thing. And, you know, there's that little bit of you that 
questions it. But then in the back of your mind, no one would possibly be that evil <laughs> to, to try. So Paris is hilarious because she, of course, will go through any contract with a, a fine comb and or just try to find every little thing. But I'm with you in terms of that. That's where I, I think listening to your gut and something you taught me, because you said when you knew that you had this unique gift, we all have this gift of intuition to some extent. And it is our gut. It's our conscience. It's all of these things. Sometimes it's our anxiety. You know, I, I often say that when I'm feeling anxious, there's always a reason. There's always a reason. And then it may take me two, three, four weeks to figure out what that anxiety is. But I try to listen. And, and I think knowing that you've not listened to your gut all the time makes us all feel better, including myself. <laughs> I've made many of those mistakes. But I want to ask you, you talk about first impressions. One of the reasons I think you and I get along well is because I just like you. And I could care less that you're a Hollywood medium. And I think if, you know, we were just hanging out, having coffee somewhere, it, you know, you wouldn't care that I'm a doctor who happens to be on TV either. Talk a little bit about, I don't know how I'm, I'm first impressions are big in life. They are. And talk, talk a little bit about how, well, this is a two-part question. Number one, I've always been impressed by how, how you carry yourself because I can tell that you have not sacrificed who you are at all to do what you do. So you have not listened to those people, even though you may have signed that contract, you didn't. Right. <laughs> so how do you stay true to yourself? And then also um, this importance of first impressions when you're meeting people, whether it be for reading or quite frankly, anything in your life. I think there's something to be said about, uh, I think, knowing your purpose. And I, I mean, everybody's looking for purpose. Everyone is looking for life purpose, interpersonal purpose. I think for me, I found this to be true that our interests are indications of our calling. And so I know it's a little heady, but I, I really think our interests inform our calling. And when we're able to be in alignment with what we know we're here to do and what we feel compelled to do, then I think it's very easy to kind of not be drawn off course. Um, you know, life can, can throw in a lot of distractions and it's very easy to get caught up in semantics and technicalities. But I think when you know why you're here, what you're here to do, and what you've always felt called to do, very hard to kind of break that. And, and I feel like that's kind of what I've had to rely on when I've gone through difficult times or when I've questioned, you know, the ability or when I've not relied on my intuition and instead did something else. I always go back to that of, of knowing the importance of knowing my calling and staying in alignment with it. And, you know, I, not everybody's calling is obviously being a medium or being a doctor. I think our calling is often in many, many different forms, different manifestations, being a family person, waking up every day and doing a certain role, all those things tie into our purpose. And I think just as long as you're aware of that, there's kind of an arsenal of support that we have that um, makes it harder for people to take away from that or to distract us. That's a good reminder. I, and I'm glad that you bring that up because again, you don't need to have some special intuition to know that your purpose is what defines you. And it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to lose sight of it. Purpose, a purpose-driven life is essential for happiness. So you may have had an intuition that um, two people just came in or two living things. One, our dog, Charlie, who's sitting at the door and my lovely wife, Paris, is, is on the other side probably are you okay? She's grabbing her belly and <laughs> she, oh, I know what it is. <laughs> she she sat down and and um honey, come over here. Tyler's excited to talk to you. 
no, you're going to sit here. I'm going to sit right next to you. <laughs> so we've been here, here, grab this. Hi. Hello. How are you, Paris? <laughs> good. How are you doing? Oh, good. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. You called it. Oh, I feel sorry. like you kind of willed this into existence, actually, because it happened, what, two, I told three, him days it was three days later? three days after. Yeah, it's crazy. Because oh, um, I saw the full reading, and <laughs> I was like, no, I don't think there's a kid in our future anytime soon. And then, well, there it was. Life there it is. There it is. It is. It is. It is. Yeah, it's, it's very officially present. happening. <laughs> <laughs> very present. Oh. All right. Hey, Charlie, we're not going to completely ignore you, I promise. The dog's over there crying. Do you yeah. have a dog? A little Maltipoo, and she runs the house, so I, I understand. I love Maltipoos. They're so precious. How big? How big? Oh, she's probably about that big, but she has a personality that's like that big. So. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. We were kind of hoping for 40 pounds and under, but actually this is before we met. I wanted to adopt a 40-pound dog, and so I went to the pound <laughs> And they told me, they showed me this dog that they purported to be her mother, which obviously where's dad, which I didn't think of at the time. And they told me there's no way she's going to get bigger than her mom. Who's right here. Who's small. She is now 85, 85 pounds. pounds. She's a horse. So that didn't really pan out. Well, the good news is we don't, we don't have to take, so we, we, uh, we're having a boy, uh, Tyler and we're, the, the plan is to name him Grayson, just the name that we both fell in love with. But we're not going to have to take Grayson to a, what's it called where they go ride horses? Because he can just ride our dog. There you go. Just but a little, exactly. hey, real quick background for you. So we we were just talking about life in general. Tyler was just talking about the importance of a purpose-driven life. And he was talking about how he's doing a lot of readings through Skype and that he can that do that. That is so crazy. Oh my gosh. How does that so work? You, you ask, you, you take this interview over. I'm just here hanging out. <laughs> He also talked about how he enjoys following you on Instagram. I love following you too. Oh, thank you. Did you just move into a new home? I recently, yes, about six months ago now. So, yeah. Is that it? It is. Yes. It looks very pretty. I like all the plants. Oh, thanks. I just set it up just for you. (laughs) Very feng shui. I dig it. Are you all moved in? Uh, Pretty much. This, This whole situation obviously kind of put everything on hold. So, you know, I'm just kind of... I guess getting familiar with the house and spent a lot of time in it. So (laughs) (laughs) no kidding. We're dealing with the same thing too. It's obviously not ideal moving time with COVID at all. For sure. But it'll pass. It'll It'll pass. pass And we're blessed to have homes. Absolutely. So we all, you, you also missed the part where Tyler almost signed his first Hollywood contract from some, some some shyster guy who was like, Hey, sign here. It's no big deal. And he said oh, that when he put the gosh. pen to paper, it ran out of ink. So he was able to That's save his a career. Sign. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. How old were you? I was like 17. I was a minor. And so I don't even yeah. know if I'm legally binding, but I didn't even find out. Yeah. You, you might've been able to get out of it, but it's definitely better to just not sign that on the front end. Unfortunately, I mean, so never, many people get taken advantage of. Tyler, you've never had a good time until you watch your wife going through a contract. It oh, is scintillating so fun. Oh, Oh man, those nice 36 pagers. It's just as fun for me. Yeah. If that makes you feel better. I don't some people love it. I I don't, but it's it's a job. It's a good it's a good job. But I'm gonna help Paris out because I, I know Paris was thinking about what she wanted to talk about. And earlier Tyler brought up the word spiritual. Okay. And I know that you were 
sort of digging deep, trying to figure out how Tyler reconciles, reconciles right. spirituality with his gift and, and being a medium. Well, so. because, so we sent, when you did your reading of Travis, we actually sent the entire footage because a lot of it didn't air on the doctors. We sent the entirety of the footage to my grandma, who is very religious. She's been Lutheran her entire life and her husband passed away. And I'm very close with my grandparents. And my grandpa, her husband, actually came through and had some something to say to you to deliver to me, which was amazing and very like him to be that stubborn and just push his way into someone else's reading. Um, <laughs> but she, so she's very religious. So I wasn't sure how she was going to take it, but she was actually very moved by it and fully believes that you're just an incredibly gifted person. So I was just wondering how you reconcile and if you've received backlash from people who have religious views that conflict with what you're able to do. Absolutely. So to give you a little backstory, uh, I was raised Presbyterian and I had a pretty- Me too. Right on. So Christian upbringing, you know, all the way through and even through, you know, my, my realization of this ability. And, you know, after the show came out, season one, uh, I started getting death threats from people. My address was online. And so people were able to send horrible, nasty letters and things. And, and typically they came from a place of people being religiously against mediums. I, I don't feel like what I do is in conflict with a higher purpose. I don't feel like it's in conflict with what I call a higher power. If anything, I, I kind of feel that spirituality is our relationship with that greater force, but it can take on many different forms, many different kinds of manifestations. Um, I liken religion to almost that of like a language in the sense that, you know, depending on where you're born in this world, you might be more likely to speak Farsi or English or Spanish in the same way that depending on where you're born, you're more likely to maybe be a certain type of Christian or believe in a Muslim faith or be Jewish or whatever. So I think all of these are kind of modalities. All of these beliefs are modalities of ways that we can connect to a higher source, a higher sense of self, uh, a relationship with that higher sense of self. Um, but if anything, to me, religion is a lot more cultural than it often even is really representative of the true essence of spirituality. But I, I think it all has value implicitly, for sure. <laughs> were your parents, were they... How did they feel about your gift, having been Presbyterian? My, my mom was the first person to know about my ability because I woke up one night literally and just knew my grandmother was going to die. And That is so crazy. It felt like a memory that hadn't happened yet. And I had this weird kind of partial recollection of something that had not occurred. And so I got out of bed and I went into the room where my mom was and was trying to explain this to her. The, the phone actually um, rang and my mom picked it up and it was the news that my grandmother had just died. So it was really from there kind of the catalyst of events. But I didn't tell my dad about this until I was 16. And uh, it took me six years to really, you know, kind of get the strength to come out of the psychic closet and tell him. And, uh, you know, that was, that was tough. Well, I'm curious now, you're an adult officially and you're known throughout the world as a medium. I'm curious how now, even going back, let's just say to friends and family that knew you when you were younger, how do they treat you? I'm And getting back to your broader Presbyterian faith, how is that relationship with religion, with your, let's say your friends back before they knew you were a medium, do you stay in touch with some childhood friends and relatives, et cetera? 
You know, it's really interesting. I had a very small family kind of in the first place. I'm an only child and both my parents are really just very tight knit. <laughs> so I didn't have a lot of extended family that I spent much time with. Um, and as far as childhood friends go, you know, I actually do not speak to any childhood friends that I once had. And it's not out of resentment. It's just, if anything, people grow and change and evolve. But, you know, there, there, was, there were many difficult times throughout middle school, especially where, you know, kids were cruel, kids would beat me up. And, and uh, you know, there was one instance where I was washing my hands in a restroom at, at school and I heard you know, these boys come to the bathroom. It was one of the worst bullies that I had dealt with. And they locked the door because for some reason you could lock the door at a school bathroom, which to me was ridiculous. But he locked it and I knew I was about probably to get beat up. And I turned around and I looked at him and these words just left my mouth. I said, your aunt knows that you were crying with your dad last night and you need to leave me alone. And he looked at his friends and they looked at him and he just got all teary eyed and ran out of the bathroom, unlocked the door. And it ends up that his aunt had tragically died in a car accident the night before in a different state. And he received the news with his dad the night before. And to this day, that bully has actually spoken to me. He's one person I have stayed in touch with. And he really actually appreciated that message as bizarre and as untimely as it wow. was. Because it validated to him that she was okay. But it, it was, in essence, a, a usage of self-defense that I didn't really anticipate. Talk about throwing someone off guard. Yeah, that, that did it. So you're an only child. Do you want kids? I'm basically an only child too. My brothers are 20 years older. Okay. So I grew up as an only child. Big gap. I see. Right. Well, for me, uh, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth. I keep trying to get pregnant. I'm just not sticking. <laughs> but, uh, you know. <laughs> Getting yeah. pregnant, buddy. Yeah. Just like me. I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble yeah. myself. <laughs> but, you know, I, I've considered it. I've considered the possibility of it. I, I think for me, you know, it's very important to have a strong foundation to raise a child. And if anything, I think I would probably adopt just because there's so many children who need you know, love. And, and, uh, I also worry to some extent, if I did have a biological child, if this ability would be inherited. And that's something that I, I don't know for certain I've heard that it could happen. I, I really wouldn't want to impose that on a child because it, it requires an immense amount of mental fortitude to be able to cope and to be able to deal with what this ability entails. So do you have, let me, let me ask you this because I just, it just struck me that most people, when they have problems, they'll go talk to a counselor, they'll go talk to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, or they may talk to a best friend who's had similar circumstances. Who do you go to if you're dealing with a problem or, and I don't mean to put the weight of the world on you, or does everyone look to you to solve their problems and they forget that you're just like the rest of us. And it's not like you have every single day, a great day. And you know, you need people to talk to as well. Totally. I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a therapist. Uh, and you know, that's kind of a great way, a great outlet. I think everybody, if they can, should be in therapy. I mean, it's a great way to just have a objective sounding board to be able to talk to that's not your mother, father, friend. Um, but with that said, you know, in the early days, finding the right therapist was really tricky because I would oftentimes leave that uh, experience with one of two things, either with the nature of my job, they kind of poured their heart out about some of their loss. And so it kind of turned the tables or I've noticed, and you may be able to relate, they kind of equated with what I do with interacting with celebrities. And there's that element of like, oh, well, you know, Ellen and you've read Jennifer Aniston. And oh, you know, ooh. they don't really became very dehumanizing <laughs> where I kind of almost felt nervous to spill my guts 
to share these things because I knew that the person sitting across from me kind of only viewed me as this, this kind person of objectification. Yeah. And it, it he gets really, that as well. Were you paying them? <laughs> I was. I, I mean, that is, uh, I, I don't want to get into it, like but I mean, therapy. professionalism thrown out the window. No. That's that's very unfortunate, a profession that's supposed to be a safe space. But Travis, I imagine you've dealt with some of this too. We just moved into a new house probably two weeks ago. And our neighbor, very, I mean, just very innocently. And you got, you were a little oh, pouty about fine. it. Oh, you were. it's fine. And so she said, are you, are you that guy from The Bachelor? Just that was the first thing she said to him. And he, he said, yeah, you know, and then he just kind of ran inside. But I could tell he was a little bummed out because it just, that's not, and I'm sure you get that all the time. Like, oh my gosh, you're that medium. And it's just, it kind of, it is, it's dehumanizing. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that. <laughs> For me now, it's just people randomly touch my belly inappropriately. But, Gosh darn um, it, he's Tyler and I'm Travis. He's more than a medium. I'm more than a TV doctor and I'm more than that guy who went on The Bachelor a well, long time is, ago. I, mean, <laughs> I, I get frustrated on your behalf. So I Well, I but I, I, I will say something that I do think people often forget and it's why Paris totally disagrees with me here, but I actually do have some empathy for celebrities in terms of their ability to, everyone thinks celebrities have a perfect life and that everyone wants to be a celebrity. That's the, if you talk to any kid nowadays, they, their number one goal is to be famous and be a YouTube star or some sort of, and when I was growing up, everyone wanted to be on TV. Everyone aspired to that, just assuming that if you're in Hollywood, you're happy and that you never have any problems. And I, what's hard for me is when I first went out to LA, it was over 12 years ago. I remember meeting people who had just exited some big TV show and they're like, yeah, they ended it right before they would pay this much money. And they're like, yeah, but everyone ex expects me to have my life perfectly put together. But well, for you- to Cover the tab and stuff. There's a lot of weird implications that come with being on TV. It's like, oh, you must be really, really rich. And, and, and you must know everything and yeah. you must know, and you know everyone. But as a Hollywood medium, I'm just telling you, Tyler, you're in a you're in a league of your own. There are a lot of movie actors out there. There are a lot of famous sports celebrities. You know, I have to tell you, there are even a lot of doctors on TV. And yet there aren't many mediums who do what you do in a way that you do it as recognizable as you. And, and because and as authentic. So that's got to be hard sometimes. Well, you know, it is interesting, like, you know, going out in public. I love being able to interact with people who recognize me from the show. And what I've learned through this is, you know, that people may recognize me. And that's one thing, but it's more about what I do that they recognize even. And as weird as that sounds, people will come up to me and say, you know, my father just died. And then they'll burst into tears crying and talk about their father's passing and how much they loved him, how much they missed him. And so I've learned to be a listener and to not ever shut that down. I feel like it's a privilege to be in my position, but I've also learned that, you know, with the unique nature of my job, it's so much more than just me. It's so much more than just, oh, that guy on TV. It's, it's really more about what it kind of represents. And that is a connection to people that we want to connect with more than anything. And I'm sure as a doctor, you can kind of relate. It's, it's people are like, Hey, let me check out, you know, can I show you this, this weird elbow injury I have or... <laughs> You know, well, the best one ever, Tyler, was the guy sitting across me on the airplane. And uh, he said, Doc, I, I just would love, this is going to sound really weird, but could you come into the, the bathroom with me and just check out my hemorrhoids? And no. He, no, no, but then he breaks out into laughter. That's a 
but but of, but of course, people are always going to ask you questions that are pursuant to whatever your quote unquote craft is on TV. And in sure. my case, I'm a doctor. In your case, you know, you you do something that you can't study to do. So there are a lot of doctors in the world, and you know, I'm proud of my profession. But it's not like if if you spend the time learning, <laughs> you can be a doctor. You can spend your whole life trying to be a medium. It ain't gonna happen. But what I, what I really respect about Tyler, and he said this earlier as you were walking in, I think you've really come to this realization that this is your purpose. And that person who comes up to you at dinner, and, and I'm assuming that's why you probably don't go out to dinner all the time, but when they come up to you in that moment, that may be the most important moment of their life. And I know you being you, <laughs> I'll be right back. So our, our, uh, our, our pipe, we were having major issues with the house with flooding. So I just got a text. I gotta, I gotta let someone in. I'll be right back. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. Oh, well, I'll well, be right back. Over. It's Paris's interview now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need the other thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, another thing I was curious about now that I get to pepper you with questions is how this plays into dating. Cause you're in a relationship right now, right? I've been in a relationship for about three and a half years now. Which, oh my gosh. Yeah. Long time that's me. a long time. That's a really long time. We've been together for four years, I think in April. So that's, that's a very long time. <laughs> Feels every day, <laughs> every day of four years. Um, but I'm so sorry, Charlie, come here. <laughs> we love dogs. Um, yeah, she's, she's had a lot of anxiety with all the visitors, but how does that play into relationships? Like, is he, are, are you just constantly reading your partner or can you turn it off and do substances help or like what? <laughs> I don't know if alcohol shuts it down. Right. You know, funny enough, I've, I've never like drank. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I just, I don't know. It's, I've never been called to do it. There's no reason to, if, if you yeah. haven't done it by now, there's no reason to. I'm such a laid back person just kind of generally. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so jealous. I have the least chill. <laughs> oh, well, a work in progress for everybody, but uh -huh. I will say with relationships, you know, there's something to be said about first impressions and having an intuition. And I think, you know, especially in the dating game, having a first impression that either indicates, you know, compatibility or lack of compatibility is very powerful. And I think a lot of people I've read you know, have relationship problems because they don't go with their gut. They like the right. idea of more than the reality of what it takes to be in love. And they ignore a lot of red flags. I mean, we've all done it, but. Absolutely. So intuition, I think is something we all can tap into to help navigate that and to recognize what we need to see and, you know, and not put so much weight in maybe what we shouldn't be focusing on. Right. Are you able to turn off your gift with your partner or are, does it still come through? It goes back and forth. So okay. I won't feel much about him, um, but there have been literally times where we'll be together at like 11 o'clock at night, just hanging out. And then his grandfather will come through and I'll have a message for his grandma where I have to, I have to have him call her up and scold her over something she's doing. And how <laughs> wild. And we found it to be really bizarre. For some reason, his grandfather is still very involved in the family and what they're doing. And so sometimes they'll be like, oh, well, you're, you're telling me about what your grandma and where she's doing this and this and where, you know, and who she just interacted with. So his grandfather has passed on. Were they close? They were very close. Okay. And uh, he was a fan of the show from season one, my, my current boyfriend. And so he just messaged me on Twitter and I, you know, very modern day relationship. Mm. <laughs> 
That's how everything starts now. You slide into those DMs. Yep. I, I basically just had some very strong feelings from his grandfather. I typed up a whole series of paragraphs, sent it over, and it was information that his family was able to validate that he didn't even initially know. And so from that experience, we had an incredible bond. Um, because I'm sure. Awesome. His grandfather was so fresh and there, were, uh, there was some mystery around some aspects of it that got answered through those paragraphs. So from there, I just, I felt like it was a great way to meet the family. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. We've just had an incredible bond since. How amazing. cool to be able to give your boyfriend's family closure in the first few months that you've been dating. That's, that's so unique and so beautiful. Really special for, I think, both of us. It was just, it was, it was such a great way to hit it off. <laughs> that the people who come through, is there a connection between how close the deceased party is to the person you're reading? Or is it just sometimes kind of totally random? It can be totally random. Okay. I've had times where, where someone will sit down with me and they just want to connect with their grandmother and then mm-hmm. their husband who they killed with the lime jello, he'll come <laughs> through. And I'm not even kidding. Like there's been times I even had a client who I suspect might have murdered her husband. Well, he came through and, uh, yeah, oh my gosh, no control on my end as far as who communicates. So if, if you have secrets, going to a medium isn't always the best thing. Particularly not when it's televised. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not private. Definitely. Well, that's very cool. Cause I found that I was wondering that because in Travis's reading, the people who came through for him were interestingly enough, and they weren't necessarily immediate family only. It was the people that he was closest to. And then for me, it was the person that I was closest to, which is really, I, I guess it just, it works differently every time. But I just thought that was so cool. I think there's a lot of factors that play into right. why people come through and others don't. And I think part of it may even be their ability to communicate. So some people in life are better communicators, they're more articulate, more cognizant and capable. I think the same applies to people on the other side. I think our consciousness some, depending on where they're at in that process, are more um, able or more viable communicators than, than maybe other people who might be processing their lives or going through something else. You know, I, I think there's probably a lot that goes on uh, as far as what we have to process when we die. Does it bring you comfort that people can still come through after they die when looking at your own mortality? Or does it kind of scare you? I mean, I, I find it comforting, but I'm in no rush to get there. And, and so... Yeah. I've had a number of really close calls, unfortunately, in my own life. I'm so sorry. Oh, it's all good. Just medical instances and um, had a brain cyst and a whole bunch of other things. Oh my gosh, you're so young. (laughs) Yeah, I had brain surgery in 2014 and almost died from that. And there was a lot there. And and at that time, I remember that was kind of one of the most non-spiritual experiences I've ever had. I didn't pray before I even went into surgery, which still blows my mind. I was just so focused on staying alive and kind uh, of going through the motions. Absolutely. I think your body, you're also in shock when you're having to face the probability of dying and mortality. So for me, it's, it's allowed me to appreciate every day more and to, to be mindful and see the value in every experience. I think everyone's kind of confronting that right now with COVID as well. Absolutely. It's a very weird, very scary time. It is. And then no one is immune you know, to that possibility. So No, I mean, the, the, I think the scariest part is just the randomness of it all too. I mean, you'll see perfectly healthy people just being taken down by this thing. It's just crazy. Totally. It's, it's really, it's created a, a whole collective anxiety, but I hope from this experience, you know, people that are more mindful 
and more appreciative. And, and hopefully through this, we'll be able to prevent future situations from being handled as poorly. <laughs> oh, I hope so too. I think that if we don't learn something that is 100% on us, because this has really exposed a lot of holes in our system and the way that we respond. But obviously I know you'll reschedule, but I was so bummed that your tour got canceled because you were coming to Nashville in April and I was so excited. Oh, I know. They're all getting worked back out. Hopefully, fingers crossed. At the end of this year, if this is, if it's safe, but if not, then you know, 2021. We just want to make sure everyone is as safe as possible. Travis's sister went to your show in, I think it was in Fort Worth. Was it in Fort Worth that she went? Well, Dallas Fort Worth. Dallas Fort Worth, and she was just blown away. Oh, it's it's really a really kind of fascinating thing for me. I never know what's going to happen, so there's an implicit anxiety there where you know I get stage fright and I'm like, well, what if I stand on stage and nothing comes through? There's 2,000 eyeballs, 4,000 eyeballs just kind of looking back. So thankfully I've done now probably over 50 shows. Oh, wow. And have to do it for about two hours. And something has came through every single time, thankfully. So I've never just like drawn a blank, which is good, but knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you, I'm curious. Uh, I'm, I'm back in the mix. There are currently many people over walking around um, fixing things. Um, we, we live in... Uh, coronavirus central. It's a hot uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> we won't be inviting you over but, anytime but soon. How do you, so you said sage fright. If I'm giving a speech, I prepare for it. And I, for the most part, know the bullets of what I want to say. I never memorize a speech. So I do go with the flow and I do sometimes have a lot of things that just happen that come to my mind. I'm like, wow, okay, this is great. This is really, really connecting with the audience. How do you prepare? Do you have to do, do you have to put your little Superman costume on and, you know, mentally get to this place? Because it's not like you can mentally prepare for who's going to be in the audience and what's going to come through. Exactly. Do you have a routine or what, what do you do? It's kind of like ice skating to some extent in the sense that, you know, you may have an understanding of the general processes that are going to be at play to do your job. But if you have to do the triple axel, it's still going to be scary no matter what. So <laughs> in my case, you know, I kind of think that I, I have a certain degree of um, a ritual or a practice that I do to kind of psych myself out to get in a place of trust. And, you know, there's conversations often around faith and belief. And so for me, I have more of a trust-based belief system than I even have a faith-based belief system. For me, I, I really rely and have to rely on something external to myself to do what I do. And so that's given me a reinforcement of my faith through trust. And so when I'm able to surrender and just say, you know what, this is beyond me. I have to truly, with all of my heart and intention, give it up to something else. That's when the magic happens, so to speak. <laughs> I have to go deep now because you just said something profound. I recently did a podcast with my friend, Carl Travis, who is a former minister dealing with a terminal diagnosis. And we were talking about this word trust. And we were talking about spirituality during our conversation earlier, but it's like, you know, how do you define God? And he said, God is trust. And he said, I don't know what God has in store for me, but I trust God. And, and we talked a lot about trust. But we also, I want to dig deep here because one of the things I think is important, like one of the reasons I started this podcast is I wanted to give people tools to not just improve their lives. And when it comes to your health, improve your health. When it comes to your mental health, maximizing, or I don't know if you can do that with your mental health, but giving people tools. So you talk about this term trust. 
One of the concepts when I was talking to Carl, he said that he had to trust in something greater than himself because he said he was going to depart this earth with loose ends, this feeling of being incomplete. How, how can people using the skills that you have be their own? Oh, I don't know. Not everyone can get a reading from Tyler Henry, right? I was very blessed to, to have that because it was just a wonderful experience for so many reasons. But how can people who are going through life and is this making any sense, Paris? Yeah. Okay. I think, you're, I think you're getting there. I think I'm getting there. This is all over the place, but this was, I'm trying to tie this all together so that there can be some awesome grand finale. But in, I think people come to you because there's loose ends. There's this feeling of maybe something incomplete and it could be because, you know, someone who's passed away, they weren't able to, to finalize whatever they needed to finalize. But what can people do in their own headspace if they don't have the opportunity to go to you for a reading, for instance, to help close up some of these loose ends in their life or feel complete if there's something that's just been gnawing at them. Maybe it's, you know, a loved one died two years ago and they just can't get past it. Yeah, I'd say through my work, I've found that a lot of people have loose ends around wishing they could have done things differently. And a lot of that revolves around things that went unsaid, wishing they would have said something to the person when they had the chance, wishing they would have resolved something or said, I love you or whatever that may be. Now, I think the loose ends we hold are kind of dependent and sometimes unique to us. But when it comes to that idea, the idea that people come to me to communicate with their loved ones, to say something that went unsaid or to hear something that went unsaid, I think there's a power in being able to say it now to take that initiative ourselves, no matter how hard it is, maybe to extend the olive branch and try to mend conflict or to accept the apology we never received. Um, I think all of those things are very powerful. I had a client uh, in season one who I met with privately and her name was Heather and she was in her thirties and she had recently been diagnosed with a terminal blood cancer and she was in stage four and she had a seven-year-old little boy and she was happily married and her loved ones came through to her and emphasized the importance of saying it now to say everything while she still had the chance because through that acceptance, there would be peace. And so Heather took that message to heart. She recorded our reading for her family to be able to watch years into the future. She created a time capsule to be opened a decade after she died with little handwritten notes. She made a video that was to be played at her funeral, acknowledging the different people that she knew would show up and joking and talking about them and what they meant to her. And most profoundly, she filled out birthday cards for her seven-year-old little boy every year of his life, every birthday from the ages of seven to 40 years old. So that every birthday, he would be able to open up a birthday card from his mom and hear a new message and hear a connection. And for me, that really embodied how I try to live my life how I think we should all live our lives, the importance of saying it now while we still have the chance so that you don't need a medium to resolve those loose ends. I'm so hormonal. That just got me. <laughs> just it got me. I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, that's beautiful. How do you, if you do at all, how do you turn off emotion in times like that? Like, how do you stay stable for the person who's going through everything? I think there's some healthy degree of detachment that I think anyone, be it a healthcare worker, therapist, a medium, anyone in a kind like of a doctor. A, yeah. You have to kind of maintain some sense of professional distance in order to be able to effectively do your job. And there's times where I want to just cry along with those people that are crying in front of me. But I've also learned that crying is a release and it's sometimes a necessary release. And if I join them, then I'm not going to be able to effectively deliver that next message that they then need to hear. So it's really for the betterment of everybody. 
Yeah, compartmentalization is an important trait when it comes to emotions. And a lot, I think a lot of people think, may think it means that you don't have emotions. For instance, I, I know in the hospital, if you're having to pronounce a death, it's traumatic, but you, you know, I don't know about you, but I won't necessarily embrace those emotions until I get home from work because it's just, it's too much in the moment, but I love it also brings it back to you and away from their right. pain. It's, it's not about, you know, it's, it's, if you're, if you're the professional, again, whether you're a medium doctor or whatever you do, it's, it's not about you. It's about the other individual. And, you know, in this, I've made a steadfast attempt to, to make this podcast about other people trying to get them to, you know, I, I, what I've learned today from you is you live a purpose-driven life and that's how you're able to maintain positivity, optimism. You're not, you, you know, you like the rest of us have problems and tough days, great days, but I would be remiss since you predicted this baby before we, we close this out. Um, you, you, are, you are truly gifted and you predicted this baby. Before we let you go, I mean, any, any, vibe, any, vibe, any, vibes, coming, any vibes coming through from, from little Grayson in there? Any? Well, you know, I might have to get back to you on that one. <laughs> Just prepare again, buy lots of blue, lots of blue fabric. And uh, beyond that, uh, not much. I, I think what Paris was hoping you might say is he promises to stop punching your oh belly. <laughs> and using she my didn't bladder. Sleep last night, Tyler. She literally got punched the whole night. My little He's a kickboxer. I'm worried he's evil. Yeah. Well, that's why I was I was hoping you would say something like I see a you know boxing gloves. I see a a, a, a world welterweight champion boxer in there. There you go. He'll come out with biceps. <laughs> yeah. No, people always tell you how beautiful it is to hear, to feel the movements. And don't get me wrong. I feel very blessed every time he moves, but he, I mean, it's, he, like he's using my bladder as a trampoline. It's just, I'm, I'm concerned he might be evil. We'll see. Oh, Hopefully he's he just telling you, he's excited to come out and join you in this world. But Tyler, we genuinely look forward to seeing you in person once all of the craziness ends and, you know, wherever that may be, whether you, you do make it here to Nashville at some point, we would love to see you. And we we appreciate all that you do. And more than anything, just the, the fact that Paris and I adore you because you stay true to yourself and just never lose that. You, you authenticity, staying true to yourself. People will try to steal that from you every single year. Your career continues. Don't ever give it up because that's what make you, makes you special. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you both very, well, not very soon, but soon. It'll happen. <laughs> and It'll happen. Meantime, stay safe and, and we're going to all get through this together. So You too. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks for the time, Tyler. Be well, buddy. Thank you, guys. Bye. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed listening. Do not forget to subscribe and download and tell your friends. I would love to build this community and continue to be all about authenticity, optimism, and hope. Uh, looking forward to the next podcast. We'll see you soon. The Travis Stork Show podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.